Hello, listeners, and welcome to the 13th episode of the Always Drive podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries, where we take ourselves about as seriously as we do St. Louis's chances of ever getting a major league soccer franchise. Thank you, city voters. I'm your host, Devlin Riggs, and I'm recording a bit early this week uh, since it's my wife's birthday, and I don't want to be holed up in the office at our house recording when I could be celebrating with wine and some delicious fettuccine. Uh, not that she should pick Italian food for her birthday dinner, but I know she listens to the podcast, so maybe the hint won't hurt. Uh, in case you're wondering, yes, I did get her an automotive-themed birthday present um, because I truly know that the path to a woman's heart isn't through chocolate or diamonds. It's through brand new all-weather floor mats for her new car. Try not to be too jealous of my wife, for she has experienced true romancing this week. Anyway, enough about me, enough about my wife. Let's go ahead and talk about what's going on in the news. This week, the Truth About Cars had a really interesting piece about autonomous cars, basically listing the standings for what company is where in terms of progress on providing fully autonomous vehicles. And I encourage you all to go read it if you have the time and inclination. Uh, This stems from Ford's head of research saying at a conference this week that we can fully expect or expect a fully autonomous car from Ford sometime between 2026 and 2031, which is later than has previously been suggested, but I think there's a good reason for that. Uh, As I mentioned a few weeks ago, there are various stages or degrees to which a vehicle is autonomous, uh, from the very basic sort of radar-guided cruise control, which you see on a lot of vehicles, to the more advanced, you type in a destination and your car will do all of the things to take you there without your input sort of technology. Um, The Society of Automotive Engineers, or SAE, actually has predefined levels, with level 5 being fully autonomous. Uh, Tesla claims that they are just on the cusp of level 5, but uh, the less audacious auto manufacturers are much more conservative with their self-evaluations. Navigant Research, which uh, has kept tabs on automotive cars for a long time, Um, They say Ford will likely be the first to roll out a fully autonomous SAE Level 5 vehicle uh, because they've been in the game since entering a DARPA Grand Challenge in 2005. GM, they predict, will come next, then Nissan Renault, um, according to Navigant, with uh, the Germans following, and Hyundai, Toyota, Peugeot, Citroën, and Tesla, all sort of middle of the pack. If that sounds strange, given Tesla's claim that they've almost beaten everyone else to the punch 10 years before Ford thinks they'll have it cracked, uh, it's because Navigant is really skeptical about Tesla's claims, especially since they don't use LiDAR in their sensor array, and because of the widespread misuse of Tesla's existing autopilot, which we've uh, seen already have some really uh, dramatic and, and dangerous crashes. Uh, Another problem for automation is that Velodyne, the company primarily responsible for making LiDAR um, most autonomous vehicles depend on to be able to see their surroundings, 
can't make the light detection and ranging technology fast enough to feed the existing demand. Some companies are having to wait six months for new LiDAR because they're just that far behind on the demand curve. So the main takeaway here, at least for me, is that it's going to be quite a while before I'm able to write this podcast during my commute to my real job. So, like you should with road construction, expect delays. Um, But speaking of automotion, there's actually an interesting article this week in Bloomberg about GM connecting its factory robots to this thing called the Internet uh, in order to more closely monitor uh, production and reduce downtime. That means that at the same time that they're cutting shifts for human workers, uh, they are actually giving Johnny Five Wi-Fi so that they can keep an eye on him while he bolts together your next Chevy. Uh, GM has increased its new U.S. robot applications by 10,000 since 2012 and argues that the new robots will help create jobs, presumably for the people maintaining them, which, by virtue of them being now connected to Wi-Fi, can happen from a centralized location somewhere else. Uh, Mark Franks, who is GM's director of global automation, said, quote, the amount of technology coming at us in the next five years is probably more than we've seen in the last 50, end quote. Uh, which, that's a thrilling prospect for automotive enthusiasts and for buyers, but perhaps doesn't have the same sort of ring to it for factory workers. So we're going to have to see how this develops and if the Wi-Fi uh, connected automotive uh, manufacturing robots really do lead to uh, uh, more production uh, cuts in terms of human workers. Um, Now, if I told you that one car manufacturer sold uh, 256,000 vehicles last year and another sold 4,000, it'd be a good bet, right, that the former would be more highly valued than the latter, correct? Uh, Well, in the world of Wall Street logic, need not apply. And Tesla, the latter, is more highly valued than General Motors, the former. This apparently is based on investors' belief in Tesla's ability to grow rapidly and the promise represented by the Model 3 and, after that, the Model Y. Uh, This, of course, ignores the decades of R&D performed by General Motors that resulted in the uh, highly competent Chevy Bolt, an EV that does pretty much everything the Model 3 will do and is available now, and probably won't have the constant problems like new Teslas seem to. Uh, South Korea, unlike Wall Street, they get it, and uh, they know a good deal when they see it, and the Bolt has completely sold out there. Regardless, as of this week, Tesla is, quote, worth more than GM. So, suck on that, car manufacturers? Uh, In better news, I guess better for some, uh, automakers are voting with their wallets when it comes to speaking out against harassment. Uh, specifically the harassment by Fox News host Bill O'Reilly. In total, six automakers, Infiniti, Lexus, Mercedes-Benz, Hyundai, Mitsubishi, and BMW, have all joined several other advertisers in pulling their ads from Fox News, the O'Reilly factor, after uh, new reports emerged of sexual harassment allegations involving Bill O'Reilly. You don't really tend to think of 
car manufacturers as necessarily righteous or maybe super ethical, <clears throat> Volkswagen, but it's nice to see that they are taking a stand against some really, truly reprehensible behavior. Um, so, like Bill O'Reilly, March was not a good month for car makers. Uh, in fact, this whole year has not been particularly kind to them. Uh, Ford is down 7.2%. Fiat Chrysler declined 4.6%. Weak Jeep sales, um, probably stemming, stemming from my podcast last week, um, drove down uh, Fiat Chrysler. Honda, Toyota, Hyundai, Kia all saw sales slip. While Nissan, Subaru, VW, Audi, and GM all grew, that was not enough to make up for the rest of the market sort of tanking. Uh, I'd, I'd also like to point out that the entire Cadillac lineup of cars, not SUVs, but cars, was outsold by their fancy GMC Acadia, the Cadillac XT5, which, you guessed it, is a crossover. The demise of the mid-sized sedan also continued with a 13th straight month of year-over-year declines in sales, but the whole market seems to be decreasing, and there's really no sign of it stabilizing anytime soon. Uh, Bloomberg is calling this the triple threat. Rising interest rates, rising negative equity, which is more debt, in vehicle loans, and used vehicle price deflation. Uh, I've mentioned before that used prices have remained high because of the Cash for Clunkers program and because of uh, very few people buying new cars during the recession, but we're apparently starting to see that trend turn around with some used cars starting to hit the market. And because so few people are buying again, the supply of used cars is starting to exceed the demand, leading to lower prices. Uh, new drivers actually increased to 4 million back in uh, 2015, which is the last year for which I guess numbers are available, but total vehicles are at a somewhat incredible 270 million. So that's 270 million cars for 4 million people, which begs the question if America is grossly oversupplied with vehicles. As the owner of a motorcycle that never gets ridden and as someone constantly shopping for a third yet unnecessary car, I'd say, yeah, that's probably a pretty good assessment. Uh, incentive spending last month went up $450 per vehicle on average, while the used vehicle prices declined at 7.7%, which is nearly the double the monthly rate for last year. Uh, Trade-in values are plummeting, meaning that new car transaction prices will increase, meaning longer-term loans will be the norm. Already, trade-in cycles are getting longer, and uh, credit scores are likely to take a hit with people having to spend more to get themselves into a new car. Also, somewhat terrifyingly, one-third of car owners cannot repair their cars when they break down without going into debt to do so, which of course takes people even further out of the new car market because they've just dumped money into their old car. This also spells m bad news for the automotive manufacturing industry, um, all those jobs that were supposed to be brought back by the current administration, while they were always destined for automation, which we're seeing, especially with GM's Wi-Fi integration, maybe even the machines won't have jobs to show up for. Uh, but on the positive side, used car prices are, are decreasing, and being a proponent of used car buying myself, 
that means you should be able to start finding some good deals, even on cars that historically hold their value well. But it's going to be interesting to see how this so-called triple threat develops and if we start to see a really drastic effect on the, uh, the automotive industry, which could lead to more uh, consolidation and centralization of brands. Disasters. According to a new budget document from the White House, the Environmental Protection Agency's budget for light vehicle emissions and fuel economy tested is slated to be cut by 99%, and more than half of its staff will be let go. 99%! That's like they thought about it and said, well, we don't want to cut it completely. Let's just leave it at 1% so they can't say that we totally eliminated it. They anticipate that some of the money will be made up by charging automakers and engine manufacturers more to have their cars and engines tested. Uh, what was it that Trump was saying about removing any barriers to the automotive industry? And what was he saying about adding jobs? Uh, because it seems to me that cutting 168 positions leaving car manufacturers on the hook to have their stuff evaluated and basically forcing the closure of an agency that helps keep Americans safe is the exact opposite of what he promised to do on the campaign trail. Remember, the EPA was the organization that held Volkswagen responsible when their diesel cars were caught emitting up to 35 times the allowed amount of nitrogen oxide and other pollutants because of their defeat devices in the diesel vehicles. Without question, the Environmental Protection Agency helps keep America healthy and reduces our risk of nasty things like cancer from vehicle emissions because it holds companies to standards. When you eliminate the ability for organizations to test for and enforce standards, you might as well eliminate the standards, which I know Donald's trying to do as well. But the one thing this will not do is anything positive for America. And that's not being political. That's just being factual. Finally this week, Canada proved it is not to be trifled with or um, maybe not to be stunted upon or stunted in. Uh, anyway, Ontario police impounded 50 high-end cars, including BMWs, Porsches, Mercedes, uh, apparently a Rolls-Royce and a Lamborghini for, quote, stunting on the freeways. Um, it's nice to hear that people driving like assholes are losing their ability to drive in Canada, at least for a while. Uh, they'll be paying a $2,000 Canadian, Canadian dollar fine, uh, which I'm sure is some amount of real dollars, and I'd like to formally invite the Ontario police to my daily commute to see if they can also impound some of the assholes I come across daily. That is going to be it for the news. Let's take a look at some of the new cars that we learned about this week. First up, Nissan has introduced the Heritage Edition Nissan 370Z, which allegedly pays tribute to Z cars of the past by being yellow and having some black stripes, which actually doesn't make me think of Z cars, but rather of the Bumblebee Camaro from Transformers. Um, it'll have the same engine and transmission choices as the normal 370Z, 
So in reality, you're just paying a couple grand over the standard car for some fancy badging and stripes. But heritage, so go for that. Um, in Wagon Renaissance news, the Buick Regal was announced this week and just as predicted, will totally be available in a wagon. Uh, basically a badge-engineered Opel Insignia, the new Regal looks fantastic and will be available in front or all-wheel drive. Uh, the front-wheel drive version is called the Sportback. The all-wheel drive is called the Tour X. Uh, I mentioned that it would have a 2-liter motor, and it would have to be turbocharged for it to be interesting at all, and guess what? It is. So we'll get 250 horsepower going to all the wheels through either an 8- or a 9-speed automatic transmission, uh, unfortunately, the all-wheel drive model, uh, the Tour X, comes with that stupid plastic cladding around the wheel wells for a more rugged, Audi all-road-like look. But when you're inside, looking at the honestly gorgeous-looking interior, you'll probably forget about all the plastic on the outside. Hopefully the interior is as nice to touch and feel as it is to look at in the small pictures that were posted online, but that will remain to be seen. Uh, I'll be honest, I hate Buick commercials. Uh, they have spent far too long using the same stupid techno beat and making fun of themselves with the whole, that's a Buick thing. We get it. Domino's did that. Chevy did it with the Malibu, but they made it funny. Now that you actually have good cars, um, let them speak for themselves and showcase the features and luxuriousness of your existing cars rather than the surprise of your fake actors. Uh, with all honesty, this could be the first American car I've ever purchased. And, uh, but, you know, after a few years when it hits the used car market. But hey, all of you people, you go buy one. Uh, in blue or gray, please. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Korean manufacturer Hyundai is going to take on Nissan in the quirky, compact crossover scene. And the vehicle they will use to challenge the Juke will be called the Kona. It will uh, be launched excuse me, on October, in October. It will be launched in October for about 15 grand. And that is literally all I know or care to look up about another compact crossover. Uh, no obituaries this week, so we will move into our next segment, which I think will be something completely different this week. So I hope you enjoy it. Hey there, podcasters. Um... I'm coming to you from my commute home. Uh, I figured that normally uh, about this time in the episode, you are getting a deep dive into some topic or another. And uh, I thought that since I didn't really have any inspiration for a deep dive this week, maybe I'd go sort of the polar opposite direction and come up with some really shallow splashes maybe into uh i guess something that we like most of us probably experience every day which is your daily commute 
at least for a person like me who's really into cars and uh, constantly thinking about them, and commute offers an experience to uh, constantly evaluate other cars and think about different attributes to things. Like, there's a Mazda 6 next to me right now, and it's a like the new one's a really nice looking car. Um, I think the uh, new Camry that was announced recently with its super aggressive styling. I think that's uh, sort of going after the Mazda 6 because it's really sort of breaking the mold in terms of mid-size sedan looks. But uh, I guess we're going to have to wait and see if the... Oh, there's an accident over there. Great. Um, if the Camry drives as well as the Mazda 6 does. I can't speak to it, not having driven one myself, but I know the 3 drives pretty well. So I assume Mazda's focus on driving has extended to the 6. Um, there's a Chevy Silverado coming the other way. Man, that is a good-looking truck. You know, I, there's daylight running, daytime running lights on pretty much everything right now, but uh, they really integrated it well into their sort of split headlight design, and I've always liked the idea of trucks, but never really had the need for a truck, apart from the odd... Uh, run to Lowe's or Home Depot, but uh, I think I think Chevy would be my pick. Certainly over Dodge because it's a Fiat Chrysler vehicle, but Fords are up there with their reliability, certainly. But I think for looks, Chevy's got it nailed. There's just so many crossovers on the road. It's an X3, a Rogue, GMC, whatever their small one is. There's a Ford Flex, and I don't see many Ford Flexes. They are basically a tall wagon. And I can't help but think that Ford would have really hit a home run if they had designed the Taurus as a wagon instead of this beefed-up Flex. I mean, they, they must have sold enough Flexes to make it worth producing for a while. I'm sure they did their market research. But, like, imagine a, a Taurus SHO wagon super high output. Man, I would rock that thing. Harder than a Buick Tour X, right? It's a Mitsubishi Galant over there. That's just a, that, so this Mitsubishi has a broken taillight, and I'm not sure I've ever seen a Mitsubishi Galant without a broken taillight. Did they just come from the factory like that, or are they like super brittle? I don't know. It's a Wrangler four-door couple lanes away the I I mean I understand why they made the Wrangler unlimited four-door obviously the people who like Wranglers and have a family it's a lot more convenient than dealing with two doors but it just it so ruins the aesthetic of the Wrangler and a lot of the practicality uh, in terms of like its capabilities I guess um, like you're not, you're never gonna rock climb with a four-door Wrangler because you'll just beat yourself with your super elongated frame now. And I just I I know why they did it, but I'm gonna sound a bit like a Jeep fanboy here when I say I don't think it's a real Wrangler. And oh my God, the Fiat 500L, that is probably the ugliest car of all time, if not damn close to it. Man, I just do not understand why you would buy that. I mean, even over its sibling, which I guess is the Jeep Renegade, that is, that's a nice-looking car. 
not that I would understand why you'd buy a Fiat Chrysler vehicle at all when there are so many other choices out there that don't suck. Is that silver Cadillac hearse <laughs> merging onto the freeway? Oh man, rush hour is a bad time to die. Um, a silver hearse, though. You never. When do you see a silver hearse? When is a hearse not black? That's strange. There's an Escalade behind me. I don't. I feel like I don't see many Escalades anymore. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's uh, something that crossovers have brought upon. People are realizing they don't need gargantuan luxury SUVs. They're fine with just a smaller crossover. Maybe that's one thing crossovers are good for, taking these stupid, huge, unnecessary vehicles off the road. Of course, not that crossovers have any sort of utility that people actually use. Ooh, there's a Ford Focus RS over there. It's a bright blue color. Those things look so aggressive, but, you know, when it passed me, I I didn't hear anything. Like, you, you wouldn't know that it passed you. But, I mean, it looks fast. It's just a shame that the exhaust doesn't match the performance that you get out of it. Not that, you know, should go slapping fart cans on your Ford Focus RSs, but, like, my motorcycle sounded like a sewing machine. So I put a couple uh, Delcovic straight-through pipes on them. I actually let the baffles in because without the baffles... Um, I sort of had trouble hearing after riding a couple times, so, uh, <clears throat> but the, the, like, putting the pipes on was, for me, not a safety thing. I don't really buy into that whole loud pipes save lives thing, but I think, uh, it was just like a, a feeling, a sensation that I wanted for myself, not for anyone else particularly, just I, I knew the bike was really fast and I wanted it to to sound like to me that I was getting the performance out of it that I was experiencing and I don't know it's just sort of like a auditory compliment to the uh, tangible experience I guess if that makes any sense oh my god there's a Bentley Continental GT probably going about 90 miles an hour has a slam on its brakes because it's rush hour traffic and <laughs> there's a, a silver Toyota Camry in front of it and it's going nowhere. I'm telling you, that was, a, that was a good use of your fuel there, Mr. Bentley. I'm, you know, I feel like I see Bentleys certainly not as often as I did in Los Angeles, but when I lived out there, I used to call them the Toyota Camry of Hollywood because it seemed like everybody drove, everybody, I guess, rich, drove a Bentley Continental, and it just really got kind of played out to me. I don't know. Now I'm uh, getting closer to home, and this has probably been more than enough random stream of consciousness, shallow splashing instead of your deep dive, so... I guess I'll go ahead and wrap it up there. Um, I don't know. Hopefully this has not been horrible. I mean, I try to... I know that uh, Hannibal Burris has a podcast, and I listened to a couple of the first episodes of that, and it's called The Handsome Rambler, and I love Hannibal's uh, 
uh, his stand-up routines, but the podcast was sort of hard to get to because there was no real structure to it or any theme, and it was just sort of him and his bros talking, and I mean, I'll have to try and pick it up again and see if it's gotten any better, but I hope this has not been as painful to listen to. So, thank you guys. And that's going to be where we leave it this week. Uh, Thank you all for joining us. Thank you to Nicholas Falcon for our intro song. And I'm going to leave you guys this week in the spirit of Bentley's moving entirely too quickly with the Bentley GT3 race car, a uh, twin-turbo V8 that has a sort of deep, menacing-sounding growl to it. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So here you go, friends. Here's your moment of zen.